Welcome to Nets Talk Now, Driving Change, a podcast brought to you by the Network of Employers for Traffic Safety. Each month, we bring you engaging conversations with global road safety leaders and innovators, so you too can work to advance road safety for everyone. Welcome to another episode of Nets Talk Now, Driving Change. I'm Susan Gillies, the Executive Director of the Network of Employers for Traffic Safety. NETS partners with a number of sponsor companies who provide resources, information, and products and services to help our NETS members further advance their road safety programs. These sponsor companies are a wealth of information and are truly a value-added benefit of joining NETS because they can offer direct access to solutions for the fleet safety challenges that many of our members are facing. Today, we'll be talking with one of our newer sponsor companies, Cambridge Mobile Telematics, or CMT, who is the world's largest telematics provider. So with me for this episode is Ryan McMahon, the Vice President of Strategy at CMT. So Ryan, welcome, and thank you for being here with us today. Hey, Susan. Thanks for the uh, invitation. It's great to talk to you today. Absolutely. So let's let's start a little bit on background of CMT and yourself as well. How did you end up at Cambridge Mobile Telematics? And tell us a little more about your organization. Sure, absolutely. So I've been with the company for um, going on four years, and my background started started actually before I uh, my professional career. And this is, I think, germane to this topic. Um, while I was in school, I volunteered as an emergency medical technician. I went through that process and worked with a volunteer rescue squad in upstate New York. So I got my first my first experience with many of the issues that face um, that face the safety community uh, as it pertains to road safety and, and and car crashes. And it really led me towards um, I think a, a greater understanding of the importance of the work that we do overall. Uh, I worked in the insurance industry after that, and it led me to Cambridge Mobile Telematics after a career working in claims, product management, um, strategy, partnership, marketing, and a number of other areas in the insurance industry. And I was actually a customer of CMTs. So CMT, Cambridge Mobile Telematics, is a 13-year-old technology company that is based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, hence the name. Actually, our offices are on the MIT campus. Two of our co-founders are professors at MIT at the Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab, which uh, gets us access to some really, really smart, really smart people. And uh, they were joined by an entrepreneur, Bill Powers, who's the company's third co-founder and CEO. And that group has been together since the beginning. And essentially what CMT does is make technology that measures the physics sensor data that comes from a variety of different sources. We measure data from IoT devices, from smartphones, from cameras, from connected cars, and fuse that information together. And we use that information to create events. So we're looking for things like hard braking, harsh acceleration, speeding, distracted driving, and other complex maneuvers that essentially lead to crashes. We take those events and model those against crashes that we detect ourselves. And then we can create and, and predict the likelihood of any individual driver. Uh, we can predict their likelihood of getting into a crash. And just predicting that is useful for the insurance industry. But we go a step beyond that of being able to build incentives and tools and communication methodologies 
that fundamentally reduce those events, that reduce those behaviors that cause crashes. And then um, if a crash does happen, we can detect that in real time, send help to the scene, and then reconstruct the physics of that crash to help people better uh, understand what happened and then settle in, a, in the case of a, of a loss. So it's a it's been a really interesting journey. Uh, again, my, my journey here started in road safety, moved through the insurance industry. And then as a customer, I saw the power of the ability to fundamentally change risk. And I have been here uh, working ever since. And the company's grown from about 45 people when I joined to north of 400 now. And we're really excited about what we're doing, working with over 80 programs around the globe. We work with 21 of the top 25 U.S. insurance carriers. And uh, we have really uh, exciting programs in places like Japan, Australia, Africa, and across Europe. I think it's really important. Thank you for sharing all of that, Ryan. I think it's really important to what you touched on, your background as an EMT and that personal story and the importance of safety. And I think that's what has led a lot of us to this, this business environment. And just a lot of us have been touched by some sort of traffic incident or something personal that has affected us and, and has really strengthened our advocacy towards this. Um, and, and so I think that's a really important piece of this. And the technology that you touched on as well is is fascinating, you know, being able to work with uh, MIT and, and somebody that is there where you get access to top-notch technology and research like that. It's, it's interesting what you were talking about in terms of the, the technology and how you're measuring the, the harsh braking, harsh acceleration, and then predicting that driver behavior. Because we talk a lot about driver behavior within road safety, right? It's, it's the driver that can affect so much of that, but tied into the technology. And, and we've heard a lot of talk recently about that safe systems approach and how it's driver behavior, but it's also the technology, it's the infrastructure, it's the communication between vehicles, all of that. So uh, can you explain a little more about how your technology works? You talked about the things that it's measuring and how it's predicting, but is this a device that goes in the vehicle? And who looks at this in terms of analyzing it? How does an employer take this information that they're getting from your technology and, and translate that to their fleet safety and working with employers? Yeah, that's a really good question, um, Susan. And, and I think our work has spanned a number of different technology platforms as those technology um, platforms have evolved. And when we started, the initial view of um, a, the opportunity was to look at any sensor that was widely distributed enough that could help us get a better view of risk. And in fact, one of the first projects that was um, deployed before CMT was CMT was a program called Pothole Patrol with the city of Boston. And it was the idea of putting pre-iPhone phones, so you can think of like a razor um, in, in the back of a taxi trunk and detecting where all the potholes were around the city of Boston. And obviously, as technology has expanded, the number of IoT devices and sensors that are available today is, is incredible. And it keeps growing and the prospects are for it to scale even further. So our view is, let's take the, the largest available data set and make, that, um, make, make sure that our technology works on that. And smartphones have been probably the single most important development to road safety that I think folks probably haven't really thought about from the good and the bad, by the way, because distracted driving, which we'll talk about in a little bit, 
distracted driving is we think one of the most significant road safety issues on the road on our roads today but they also turn out to be quite an amazing platform to be able to assess risk not just distracted driving but looking at speeding and all of the other variables that we talked about a moment ago our technology has been deployed on over 3500 different technology platforms many of those being smartphones but we also build our own iot devices called tags that are about the size of a Fig Newton and peel and stick onto the windscreen of a vehicle. We've distributed over 20 million of those around the globe. And that has enabled us to measure the dynamics of the vehicle. And we're looking at the physics that are imparted on that tag while it's attached to the vehicle, in addition to the dynamics that an individual driver imparts on that through the smartphone. And what's interesting is when you fuse this data together, you can start to see how one individual drives multiple different um, platforms. And that becomes even more interesting as we move into an electrification future and the dynamics of those vehicles are different than others. So we can start to look across the spectrum to understand how one individual driver's behavior exhibits risks or exhibits risk or doesn't on a vehicle. And then we can look at the lifetime um, opportunity to improve that driver and look at how that individual has um, reduced things like speeding harsh braking, and others that are indicative of, uh, of behaviors that lead to crash. And most of our technology today in the market is in the form of a smartphone app that uh, individual drivers download to their phone. If there's a tag, then it would pair with that tag at the same time. So the app only records when it's in um, within a short range of the tag. We also have recently launched our connected dash cam product that is being used in rideshare environments today that help observe safety incidents inside a vehicle, as well as assess risk outside of the vehicle. And that has been a really important platform as the the issues that individual employers and uh, drivers have evolved as um, mobility has changed. So our view is always to stay ahead of technology to make sure that we can assess the changes in mobility and risk that come with changes, whether that be through electrification, autonomous vehicles, or just uh, things like rideshare and other elements that change the way that people interact with their vehicles and always make sure that we can assess the risks of the environment and how an individual's behavior will change that uh, either positively or negatively. That's a great overview of all of that. And thank you for sharing that. It sounds like CMT has really come up with a lot of different ways to address these and has really tied into all of the options there, considering the the smartphones, the apps, the tags, all of that that you described. So a follow-up question to that, I'm curious then, if your technology is being used on a smartphone with an employee that's out driving, and you mentioned distracted driving, how does that work on on their phone in terms of distraction? Is this is their phone still being used? Is this just something, does it shut their phone off and then it shows all of the results once they're done driving? How does that work with the element of distracted driving in terms of having it on their smartphone? Yeah, so you can think about us as a company that takes in a tremendous amount of information and then tries to make sense of that in a way that is very clear. So we're not changing the the driver's phone in any way. We're not altering their capabilities to use their phone or interact with it. But what we are doing is we're measuring things like the accelerometer, the gyroscope. We're looking at other sensor platforms like the magnetometer and barometer 
and the GPS to understand when somebody is driving and when they're not driving. And in the case of smartphone distraction, the way that we look at that is that an individual is driving the vehicle. So there's, there's motion that's detected that they're driving. We're looking at above a certain speed because uh, below specific speeds, let's say, say 10 miles an hour for this example, below 10 miles an hour, distraction is almost ubiquitous. So we have a cutoff that we'll say for this conversation is 10 miles an hour. So above 10 miles an hour, the phone is on, uh, the screen is on, meaning that it's actively engaged with. The screen is also, or the phone is being interacted with either detected by handheld motion or by tapping. And the reason that we distinguish between those two is as a lot of the laws have moved to eliminate the ability or the allowance for a driver to hold the phone while they drive, what a lot of people have done is mount their phones on their dashboard via magnets or other elements. And what they're then doing is interacting with the phone while they drive. And a lot of people ask me, well, if I have Waze up or Spotify or something else playing in the background, does that count as distraction? And we don't. So we have no knowledge of what's happening on the phone. We only measure the physics. And in this case, we're measuring the physics that the phone is moving and uh, it's being interacted with. So if you have ways open and it's navigating in front of you, no issue. If you're actively typing in an address and looking at different routes and then changing the song that's playing, that would count as a smartphone distraction. And what's interesting is we've been measuring this for a long time. We didn't start the company with the view to eliminate smartphone distraction because it didn't exist. Smartphones weren't a thing. What has happened though, is we have started to pay attention to what has caused crashes. And we've noticed that it's actually interesting. If you look at the distribution of smartphones and the frequency of crashes as measured by the insurance industry, they correlate really highly. And if you look at it on a chart, they pair very closely together. So you can start to see this increase in frequency as the initial ramp up years of smartphones had come into the marketplace. So that's why we created the ability to measure it. If you want to change something, first you have to measure it, right? You have to define it and measure it. And the problem with distracted driving is if you look at the road safety community, there's really not a lot of tools to actually measure this in mass, right? right? The best ever study on this was NOPIS survey. And what it was, individuals that were standing on the side of the road with um, clipboards looking at stopped traffic, so people at stoplights, and looking to see how many people were on their phone at that time. Well, the challenge is everyone does that. <laughs> right. So that, that's a really uh, low bar. But it's really hard to measure distraction at speed. And that challenge continues for everyone in the space, including law enforcement. So there's really not a lot of signal out there. So what you need is the ability to actually measure that at the source. So again, our technology is only used by people that opt in. So it's only used. There's no surreptitious data collection. It's not hidden anywhere else. So somebody that's using our technology knows the technology is being used. And if they're using the technology, there's some... Uh, reason or incentive that that is that is present. And what's happening relative to smartphone distraction that we've been measuring is that number continues to climb. It's been climbing ever since we started to measure it. And it got much worse over the last two years during the pandemic as a result of many different changes in, in our society. But smartphone distraction, as we come to the problem, we're simply measuring it and then allowing a layer of incentive items to be placed, whether that be insurance discounts for an employer, insurance discounts for an individual, reward programs that give individuals points or prizes for continued positive behavior, not being distracted, not speeding. And we also build in a large messaging um, element that helps individuals understand their behavior and the risk that they're imparting. 
And from a, an employer standpoint, when that data is available to them, they have the ability to help facilitate a safer fleet because they are understanding this at an individual driver level. For a driver to use it, the challenge for that driver is before they use the technology is really trying to understand how much risk they actually exhibit on the car or the truck. Because in most cases, drivers don't get a tremendous amount of feedback overall on these granular type behaviors. The major type behaviors they do, right? We have traffic stops that um, that certainly occur every day, but the frequency for one person is pretty low. There are other products that help monitor overall kind of condition of how an individual vehicle is being driven, but not necessarily things that are happening at the driver level. And it's interesting. I was on a conversation, I had a conversation with someone earlier today that they uses our technology through an insurance company partner. And they said, it's, it's actually two people uh, today. And both of them said it's changed their behavior. They have stopped using their phone while they drive because what happens is every time that incident occurs, we measure it. And then when a trip is over, we calculate the overall risk of that individual trip. We give the driver feedback through a notification that they receive on their phone. And they can see the start and the stop of the trip and they can sh- we can then show them exactly how safe their trip was. And then we'll pinpoint down where specific actions happened that were risky. For example, we'll show where they were using their phone while they were driving to them uh, right on the phone itself. And in addition to that, we'll show them things like you were going 75 miles an hour on this road and you used your phone for 42 seconds. And when we say using your phone again, remember, it's somebody manipulating their phone while the screen is unlocked while they're driving. So that feedback loop alone is very powerful. And even absent the incentives and other elements that we talked about before, it starts to trigger changes in an an individual. And we've seen this come uh, to fruition with a number of different programs, including contests that we've run, which is a really good way for an employer to use the technology, by the way, and a positive element. We've done this with multiple cities. We've done it with Los Angeles, Boston, San Antonio, Seattle. And in those cases, I think the prize money was up to $30,000 that these cities were giving out through sponsors to the safest drivers. And they were able to quantify reductions of risk for segments of the population that go over 30%. So, you know, we were seeing drivers reduce distraction. 25% of drivers reduce distraction by 50%. And That's a huge number if you think about the impact that these type of behaviors have on loss, which are very, very, very highly correlated. In fact, we believe they're causal, but they are certainly actuarially linked to crashes. The crashes are certainly bad when somebody's not able to enable uh, evasive maneuvers, but the Federal Highway Administration even studied these contests, and they were able to show and validate that these behaviors were changed and ultimately reduced risk for not only the driver, but everyone else that shares the road with them. I think that's so important what you've been touching on here, the feedback that the driver gets. Like you said, people that have put this on their phones have this technology and they get that feedback and it changes their behavior because they're much more aware all of a sudden. And I think that's really important, especially for our NETS member companies to provide that feedback to their employees so that those employees know. And when it's immediate feedback and you can see exactly where you were when you were driving and doing that behavior, you are much more likely to change it. And then that that gamification, that incentivizing the positive behaviors really makes a difference. And as you mentioned, the, you know, the $30,000 and all of the prize money for that, that's incentive for people to make some positive changes when you're thinking about it. So I think that is really important. Tying into that, um, if you saw this week in the news, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA, 
announced that they are estimating 42,915 people died in motor vehicle crashes in the U.S. in 2021, which is the highest number of fatalities since 2005, and I believe the largest annual percentage increase since they started using this system that they're using. So that's a huge number. And every one of those 42,915 people, that's, that's a person that had a family and friends and that somebody knew. And it's tragic. And globally, the road crash fatality and injury numbers aren't doing much better. So from your view at CMT with road safety the way it is today, what do you see as the biggest gaps in traffic safety? We've talked about distracted driving and you know other some other areas, but what do you see as some of the biggest gaps and how should we be addressing them? Yeah, it's it's terribly sad. Um, I can talk about this from a personal level. As an EMT, I, I will never forget, I went to a, uh, a fatal crash. I went to many serious crashes, but I'll never forget this particular one. And it was a family member involved where um, one sister was driving and the other sister was killed in the crash. And I remember just how terrible it was. Um, in that particular crash, uh, alcohol was was involved. And, you know, it's easy to, I guess that really the challenge when it comes down to looking at this, and I think NHTSA and all, all the way down to the officers that are responsible for responding to these crashes and investigating them, which ultimately finds its way into the macro numbers, to investigate the cause of the crash, there's a limited tool set that's available to understand the behavior that led to that. Alcohol is easy to discover because you can um, record it through blood or through um, or through a breathalyzer, and you can attribute um, the cause to that fairly simply. Seatbelts too, right? So you know if a seatbelt was engaged or not. And these have been two major focus areas for all traffic safety because they're very measurable. The challenge has been... Other things are much harder to measure and distracted driving is for sure in that camp. In fact, if you read the release, the word distracted driving is not mentioned once in there. And I know this because many individuals in the road safety community, the second that they can't, that came out, the second that came out, I got a number of text messages and said, we need to do more to talk about the impact of this issue because it's clearly not facilitating all the way through. But I will tell you, I have tremendous admiration for everyone involved in the road safety community and the tools that they have at their disposal. I presented at Lifesavers this past year, and we presented data on speeding and distraction over the pandemic. I was concerned because the data was 14 days old, I think, by the time I presented it. And I said this in the group, and they thought that was a joke because the, the lag of information that the road safety community gets relative to kind of the status of the road around them and the safety elements from it is fairly significant. We're looking at this on a, on a day-to-day basis. And the data I had in this case was a couple of weeks old because that was the first time that we had the opportunity to process it in this, in this size. And what we saw during the pandemic almost immediately was a significant increase in speeding that occurred over the course of the pandemic. And that was very well articulated. I think, you know, many people were able to see that up and down. You know, you could just kind of sense it if you were on the roads when the roads became empty. What wasn't well observed was the increase in distraction. And what's happened with speeding is as density has come back, we've seen speeding come come down as well. And it actually pairs quite well with these with the, these measurements of road density. So you can get a pretty good view of what's going to happen from a speed element just by looking at that, I guess, opportunity to take up more room. But the good news is speeding has come back down for sure. 
The bad news is distraction has climbed to levels we've never seen before, and it has not come back down with density. So we have a road set that over the course of the pandemic, and what's interesting, actually, if you go back to October of this past year, 21, NHTSA issued a report of looking at all the factors that have led to increases in, in fatalities. And distracted driving was in that report. In fact, it was very well done. It, it, it went into a number of details that talked about uh, a number of factors that were underneath the issues that we're seeing today. And it was the first time that our data was actually used in an official kind of NHTSA report. And I think that that is great news because I honestly think that we have the single best source of aggregate distracted driving data of anyone on the planet. And, and that's just simply because we've been measuring it for longer at the actual source, right? So we're looking at this. And I can tell you unequivocally that distracted driving is a major, major cause of crashes, perhaps maybe even the single largest cause of, of crashes that has occurred over the last two or three years, but certainly the largest cause of crashes that's not measured. So if you look at the numbers overall, we're talking about a plus 30 or 30% increase in the amount of time an individual driver has been distracted per uh, minute of drive hour. So that plus 30% of increase in distraction over the period immediately preceding COVID. And that is not just a function of commute changes. It's not just a function of uh, road density because road density has come back and commute has come back, but distracted driving has persisted. And if you go to the, if you look at the crash scene and you look at the investigators that are charged with determining the factors that led to that, they can measure skid marks. They can take uh, information from the ECU off of the vehicle. They can um, interview witnesses if there are any. They can assess for blood alcohol level. They can assess for um, other um, intoxicants, but they can't assess for distracted driving. So I think it's very clear that we have, and, and scary, frankly, that we've seen this significant increase in distracted driving that has occurred over the same period of time where we're at a 16-year high in fatalities with, I would say, honestly, Susan, very few tools to actually change it other than the type of things that we're talking about. It's just very hard to change because every mechanism that exists to, to fix other elements of road safety, if they're applied to distracted driving, they're just not as effective. For example, law enforcement, it's much harder to detect if somebody is interacting with their phone while they're driving, because they can even do it out of view. It can be done below the dashboard, which is even worse, by the way, because now you've taken the gaze uh, away from eyes that are at least at road level, and now you've put it below road level. It's not, it's not temporal, meaning that it doesn't happen around certain times of the day relative to, to, to drinking, for example. So you could have increased enforcement maybe on New Year's Eve, right, for DUI checkpoints and things of that nature or weekends or after sporting events. But distracted driving spreads out throughout the entire day. So that's not uh, incredibly helpful. There, you can use communication and educational campaigns. But the problem is you're fighting against um, every single app in the entire rest of the world that's available to you on your, your Black Mirror, right? So all of the tools that have existed thus far have come up short in the ability to stem the tide. And even laws, by the way, laws do work. Uh, and we're very supportive of those efforts. I was uh, on the phone with Jennifer Smith at stopdistractions.org as she's working to help institute a law in Louisiana. I'm not sure if that was voted on today or not, but hopefully that, that passed. Louisiana, by the way, the single largest distracted driving state in the country. Um, so maybe 
maybe there's something here. But even the best law that we've measured, and this is what's in- interesting, Susan, is like when we start to get into the data and you think about the power of this data. So we were able to measure distracted driving, the prevalence of distracted driving before a law went into effect, and then look at distracted driving after that law persisted for some period of time. What's interesting is in every single case, when the law is announced, we see a reduction in distracted driving. So it's not the enforcement that's that's doing that. It's the it's the education. So the education does have a role to play for sure. And, and I don't mean to diminish this at all, but I'll talk about the background issue in a moment. So we see distracted driving prevalence, and we're talking about the minutes per drive hour that people are spending with their phone. That's gone down when, or that goes down as soon as the law is announced. What happens though, is there's a regression towards the mean and how quickly that regression happens in the state of Rhode Island. It actually, the law was wiped out. The the improvements for the law were wiped out where we actually saw over, I think it's a six week period. And we've done a a really in-depth webinar with the National Council of State Legislatures on this. And the data is out there uh, for anyone that wants it. After that law, I think it was six weeks, the amount of distracted driving was higher than it was in Minnesota, however, and it's the only state that we've done this measurement on that we've seen this. They saw a consistent reduction of up to 30% over the course. And it continues, actually, by the way, that same data I showed about Louisiana, Minnesota is the least distracted driving uh, minutes per drive hour of anywhere in the country, any state. Minnesota is the safest on this particular account. Uh, Louisiana is the worst. But the challenge is you're making changes against where it was before, but the overall macro continues to go up. The amount of distracted driving continues to rise and the tools that we have are making a dent, but it's not enough of the dent, obviously, because in our view, the amount of fatalities that we've seen, we believe are very strongly linked the amount of time that people are spending with their eyes off the road. Absolutely. And this this is a challenge for sure. And all of us that are in road safety work and advocating for um, improved road safety, th- this is definitely something that we need to be addressing. And it's a challenge, but it's not impossible. And thank you to you and everybody else who's working at CMT to try to improve the situation and to everybody else out there that is working towards this. So Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your information, your expertise, for sharing your perspective with us today. Truly appreciate it. If somebody wants more information, uh, cmttelematics.com is your website and they can go there and find more information. Easiest way is to find us at cmt.ai. That's the short URL. And Susan, thank you. I will say this is not an impossible problem to fix because we've seen reductions when the right incentives and measurements are in place. And that's what we are most excited about. So let's keep working together. And anyone that wants to to work together on a road safety issue or otherwise, please reach out. This is something that's so important. Absolutely. We will continue down this this path till we reach our goal. So uh, Ryan McMahon, thank you again for being here today with us. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Now, Driving Change, a network of employers for traffic safety podcast for anyone and everyone who is dedicated to advancing road safety. Be sure to subscribe and tune in each month for new episodes.